Open your Bible to John chapter 1, and once you get there, stick something there, a pen, a ribbon, your husband's finger, and then turn back to Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to preach everything in between there in the next 25 minutes, okay? As you're doing that, let's take a little survey here. I need to find out two different groups of people in the room. If you are among the group of people who wait until the appropriate moment that is designated before the beginning of time on Christmas morning to open your Christmas presents, would you please raise your hand? Where are the people who are patient and wait appropriately until Christmas morning to rip into the packages? Thank you. These are the most spiritual people in the church this morning. And then how many of you are less patient and you just rip into it as soon as the sun goes down on Christmas Eve? Where are you people? Have you noticed these people? These are the people that have small children and are tired of trying to put off the children who want to rip into the packages this morning. Well, I brought a package here this morning, and this is representative of um, Christmas. This is what I want to do this morning. I want to unwrap Christmas for you this morning. I believe that so many of us get so focused on the wrapping. It's beautiful. It sparkles. Um, it 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 creates a sense of anticipation, but I've discovered that so many people are just satisfied with the wrapping and never actually unwrap and receive the gift that is on the inside. You say, what are you talking about? Well, you know, Christmas is just filled with all kinds of special things. You put lights on your, how many have lights on your house? All right. How many of you have a Christmas tree up? And how many of you spent way too much money? Yes. And, um, and uh, you, Christmas cookies, we got all these different things that happen around this season. All of that is the wrapping. And we can get so focused on the wrapping that we never unwrap the true gift of Christmas. And so we're going to, my job this morning is to unwrap the package, okay? I'm going to try to do that in a couple of different places in our Bibles, okay? Now, before we dive in a little bit, um, I saw a teaching by Tim Mackey of the Bible Project this week that got me thinking about Christmas. I'm going to use some of that framework here this morning to talk about um, Christmas. Most people think this is the Christmas story. I mean, it's here I am on this dingy place called Earth with all of its drama, all of its tragedy, pain and suffering, and here's me trying to exist down here. Now, we know that at the end of our lifetime, we think um, we're going to go either to heaven or hell, and we kind of think about these two places as these disembodied, non-physical, ethereal places, um, kind of like the, the Disney movie Soul. It's just whatever heaven is, it's not like this. And um, of course, heaven is, is filled with clouds and harps and singing. It's just kind of like this eternal, never-ending church service that they never let you out of to go to lunch, right? That's kind of what people think about heaven. And then heaven, of course, is this eternal torture chamber that God takes his vengeance out on people that he doesn't like. And that's just kind of the way that most people think about this. And of course, the Christmas story gives us hope until we get to one of these places because we know that Jesus left heaven 
came to earth as a, a little baby. And uh, so many times we think about Jesus kind of like Ricky Bobby in the movie Talladega Nights, a six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus with a golden fleece diaper. And that's just the way I like to think about Jesus, right? And then you got the guy across the table is like, no, I think about the ninja Jesus, you know? And so we kind of create this Jesus in our own image and, and whatever kind of image. But of course, Jesus was only down here for 33 years and he died on a cross, he rose again, but then he left. He left us down here, he went back to heaven. And we think we'll eventually get there as long as our behavior is above the line, or at least better than most. And of course, if your behavior is below the line, it's like you got no hope, you're probably going to go to hell. So anyway, this is the way that most people think that followers of Jesus believe the story of Christmas. Some of you are thinking, um... That's kind of what I believe. <laughs> so um, I am here to help you. I want this morning to unwrap Christmas for you because the story of Christmas is different than this. The Bible doesn't teach this at all. The problem with this story is, first of all, this is a story about me. I'm always thinking about me, my behavior, the bad stuff that's happening to me, and maybe I will get to a better place where there's no more sorrow or crying in heaven one day. And the biggest problem with this story is it separates my existence on earth with God's existence in heaven. If heaven is the place where God is most fully known and enjoyed, and earth is my space where I just try to get a little bit of enjoyment down here and however I can, the problem is, is these two are separate. That's not the Christmas story. The Christmas story looks not like this with earth and heaven separated. The Christmas story is about heaven and earth together. As a matter of fact, that's where the Christmas story begins. So I want to read you the Christmas story beginning on page one. Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of the Christmas story. And of course, you probably know the first verse in the Bible. It starts like this, in the beginning. Now remember that phrase. When he talks about the beginning, like this is the beginning, eternity past. Um, I wasn't around God was in the beginning. And it says that in the beginning, God did something. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Do you see it? The dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of earth was the same. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, the face of the earth. But then verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. Guess what happened next? And there was light, because everything that God speaks happens. So, we see in this story some important symbols of Christmas. Do you see it? We have heaven, we have earth, we have a God who speaks a word, and that word creates light out of darkness. Now, 
Let's continue the Christmas story. By the way, I mean, it, you kind of know where this goes. From there, it's all kind of all downhill. I mean, God created this good place, but then man decided he wanted to be God. He didn't want God ruling earth. He wanted to rule earth. So he turns his back on God. And then by the time we get to the third page of the Bible, guess what happens to heaven and earth? They separate. And now the dwelling place of man and the dwelling place of God is different. Isaiah chapter 59 says this, your sins have created a separation between you and your God. And that's why this place called earth feels like a really dark place filled with injustice and pain and COVID-19 and COVID-20 and COVID-21 and apparently it's going to be COVID-22. Is this ever going to end, right? It's like all this stuff that we experience here is not the world as it was originally designed. Do you, do you understand? You and I have never lived in the place that God designed us to live. He designed us to live with his space dwelling in our space. And so we have a really dark existence and that's why this week um, you had relational conflict in your marriage and that's why you experienced depression and loneliness and, and you, you, it's like you're kind of unimpressed with all the religious talk because it doesn't really speak into your existence. Now, Fast forward through our Bible, and we get over to the, one of the first books in the New Testament, John chapter 1, verse 1. John was a disciple of Jesus. Apparently, he was one of the younger disciples of Jesus. And in John chapter 1, we found out that John must have been reading the first page of the Bible because the first three words of John's writing are the first three words of our Bible. Notice what it says, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning. Sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word. Do you remember what we read in Genesis chapter 1? And God spoke. What did he speak? He said, let there be light. And in John's mind, he had become a follower of a man named Jesus. And John assigned a proper name to Jesus, which was the Word. Notice in your Bible, the Word is capitalized. This is not talking about a vocabulary word. This is not talking about words we find in a thesaurus or a dictionary or in human language. This was the first word it's the final word, it's the authoritative word, it's the word by which all other words are defined and measured. We would call this truth. There's a thousand different truth claims out there on a thousand different subjects. What John is telling us is Jesus is the one who gives the final word. And by every other by this word, every other word is measured. So, he's talking about Jesus, talking about the proper name of Jesus, the living word. This is not talking about the written word, the Bible. It's talking about the living word, Jesus, who lived out the written word of the Bible. So, in the beginning was the word. The second thing we know about the word is this. The word was with God. This Jesus, this man who was born, born as a baby in a manger 
pre-existed Christmas. Jesus existed before he was born. Think about this. Jesus created his own mother. How many of you would like to create your own mother? (laughs) Jesus created his own mother. Jesus voluntarily chose to enter into the womb of his mother and then placed himself under the authority of a sinful, flawed human being and perfectly obeyed and submitted to her. Teenagers, how are you doing submitting to your mom? Like, did you know that Jesus did that perfectly? And he was perfect, and you're not. And he pulled that off. Jesus was the Word. Jesus was with God. And then notice it says, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And of course, it's just impossible to explain the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. One God, three persons. And we worship God as one. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Jesus is the source of life. He spoke life. He grants life. He can extinguish life. He was life. And notice, the life was the light. John was reading his Bible. And he read what was in the first page of the Bible. And God said, let there be light. And John says, in him was life. And he was the light of man. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Do you remember in the first page of the Bible how God separated the light from the darkness? And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness was not overcome by it. You ever feel overcome by the darkness in the world? All the loneliness, all the depression, all all the injustice, all the addiction, all those different things that pull you away from God. You feel like nothing could ever overcome this. God's not afraid of the dark. God can come right in there and pierce the darkness in your world with his light. The question is not, uh, is God afraid of the dark? The question is, are you afraid of the light? Because the Bible says men love darkness more than they love the light. And that's how the story continues. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God. That's not Jesus. His name was John. It was the forerunner of Jesus, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Look down at verse 8. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word, remember that? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See the word dwelt there? A lot of times we talk about how in the New Testament, we we often find hyperlinks. If you click on it, it sends you back to the Old Testament. The word dwelt there is a hyperlink. When John was writing that, he wanted you to think about some stuff in the Old Testament. The word dwelt literally means tabernacled. Do you remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It was a tent. It was the meeting place, the only authorized meeting place between God and man in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. John is saying that Jesus is the meeting place. 
the dwelling place between God and man. He dwelt among us. He literally pitched a tent for 33 years to dwell among men. You know what the Christmas story is about? The Christmas story is this. Jesus brought heaven and earth back together. And right here is where we can again meet with God. This is the new dwelling place of God and man. Notice it says, He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Uh, my son Zach last week mentioned the first sermon I ever preached in this church thir 13 years ago was from Exodus chapter 33. And God is kind of withdrawing from his people because they were sinful and Moses went into his tent and pleaded, show me your glory. And God said, nope, can't see it. Why? Because it'll melt your face off. You can't, you know, I'll give you a little glimpse, but you, you, I'm too holy, you're too sinful, can't do that. All from recorded history, men have wanted to see the glory of God. And John opens his biography and says, we have seen it. We have seen his glory. It was the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Sometimes preachers make a mistake and say, Jesus was the perfect balance between grace and truth. Wrong. This says he was full of grace and at the exact moment, full of truth. I don't know about you. I never get those right. I, sometimes I get the grace part right and I miss the truth and sometimes I get the truth part right and I miss the grace. Last night I was trying to communicate some truth to my family. I totally missed the grace, put everybody in tears, total fail on my part because I am not full of grace and truth. How about you? You want God's grace or do you want God's truth? We would all say, give me grace. You need both. And Jesus perfectly demonstrated God's truth without compromising his grace and perfectly showed grace without compromising God's truth. The dwelling place of God and man became true in Jesus. Now look back up at verse 12. It says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, there are two very difficult responses to grace and truth. If you want to unwrap the Christmas present, if you want to unwrap Christmas, two things are required. You must receive him and you must believe on his name. Let's talk about those. To receive Christ, sounds pretty simple, right? It's not. It's incredibly difficult. It's almost impossible. Let me illustrate. Every Christmas in the Griffith household, Andrea gives me the same Christmas present. Now, I get, I get multiple Christmas presents, but there's always this one Christmas present under the tree. She goes to Walmart. She pays $12.95. She brings it home. She wraps it up. She puts it under the tree. And I can almost detect which present is this same gift that keeps reoccurring every year because it's the same shape and size every year. And when I pick up the packages and start rattling them, as I always do, I learned that as a kid, then I, I figure it out. Yep, that's the one. You know what it is? This is it. 
I get one, my son Zach gets one every Christmas. It is a package of Axe, body spray, deodorant, and body wash every year. Now, do you know how much humility it takes to receive a package like that? Do you know what my wife is communicating to me <laughs> by giving me a package filled with body spray, deodorant, and body wash? The underlying message is what? You stink. You are offensive. I do not want you to come close to me. You smell so bad. It takes great humility for me every year to unwrap the present, smile and say, oh boy, I'm such a blessed man. You're so gracious and generous to me. What she's trying to do is fix a problem. She's trying to address an issue that keeps us separated from one another. Do you know the gift that God has given you is meant to address your offensiveness to him? And the only way you will receive the package is if you agree you are that offensive. That your sin has separated you from him. He doesn't want you to come any closer until you receive the gift that can actually fix your problem. And the vast majority of people in the world are too proud to admit they need the gift that God offers them. They would rather say, I'm not, I'm not that offensive. I've met some offensive people. I'm not one of them. I've met some people who stink. Not me. I'm a good person. And that's why most of the people that Jesus came to, we didn't read the verse, verse 11 says, he came to his own people, they didn't receive him. The most religious people, the people that had the most Bible knowledge said, we don't need that. We don't need a savior. We know people who need saviors. We're not them. You have to receive what God offers and you have to humble yourself to do it. And you don't just receive him like you, you add him to every other thing that you've been trusting to save you. You have to empty the hand in order to receive the gift. You have to empty your hand of all of your good works. You have to empty your hand of all of your sin. You have to empty your hand of all your religious experiences to save you. And you say, none of that is what I need. None of that can correct my problem. So all who receive in them, and then the second incredibly hard thing is this, is to believe in his name. Now, belief, does that sound like a hard thing? I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe in an invisible God, but we know the story of Jesus. And most of, us, most of us in this room would say, yeah, I believe in the Bible story and the Christmas and all of that and the cross and resurrection. I believe, I believe. Here's the problem. You don't add that belief to everything else you believe. To believe in his name means you renounce belief in yours. You say, my name's not gonna get me anywhere with God. 
my performance is not gonna get me anywhere with God. I don't just believe in Jesus while I believe in myself. I have to stop believing in myself in order to believe in Jesus. And what keeps people out of heaven is they never, they will never stop believing in themselves. That's why this is the most humbling gift. And people will not unwrap it because unwrapping it and receiving it is an acknowledgement that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and I can't experience the dwelling place of God without receiving the gift. Have you ever received the gift? Here's the best news about Christmas. We've read from the first page of the Bible. We read from some stuff in the middle. John, the author of those words, he wrote another book in the Bible. It was the last book in the Bible. It's the book of Revelation. Can I read from you the last page in my Bible? It's Revelation 21. Listen to what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You see right now we live in the space here. One day we're gonna see God reunite heaven and earth and the Bible ends the way it began with the dwelling place of man and the dwelling place of God together. You said, like, can we, can we do that like by 12.30 this afternoon? Because like life is hard here. Yeah, that's true. So right now we live in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We live in between the two advents of Jesus. Do you know what the space in between the two advents are? It's an adventure. And we have to daily receive and believe the things that we know are true. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? For some of you, you've never renounced belief in yourself and you've never admitted you needed the gift to clean you up, to bring you into the presence of God. Would you do that right now? By faith, renounce belief in yourself Trust Christ, turn from your sin. He died on that cross to cleanse, to redeem, to forgive, to assure that the dwelling place of God could be the dwelling place of man. And then for most of you, that story's not new. But is that story still great? Does it still lead you to worship Him? Christmas is not just about believing in Jesus. It's not just about receiving Jesus. Christmas is about adoring Jesus with all the passion of your heart. Turn your passions away from things that don't save and let your heart erupt in love and adoration. Oh, come, let us adore him. 
Father, thank you that the story of the Bible didn't end on page three, that you worked throughout the Old Testament, sending prophet after prophet to to tell us that one day you would send your son, you would send a savior to make all things new. And for all of us who've put our faith in Christ, we know that we are a new creation. The old things have passed away, the new things have come. And Lord, it's a battle in between the two advents. But Lord, we know that you are filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth to meet us at our point of need. So Lord, assure our hearts. And God, I pray that you would spark worship to adore you in fresh new ways. Replace the sadness with overwhelming joy that there would be joy in the world because of your spirit residing in your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.